Tonight, we are lucky enough to have the associate head coach of the University of Virginia, Kevin McMullen. Let me tell you a little bit about Kevin. The 2022 season, which we are in full steam, is Kevin's 19th season at University of Virginia and his 15th as the associate head coach. He also serves as the Virginia recruiting coordinator and hitting coach and works defensively with the Cavaliers, infielders, and catchers. He is known as one of the top recruits and developers of players in the country. He has been recognized in a poll of 70 Division I head coaches by Baseball America as the top assistant coach in college baseball three times in 2012, 2017, and 2020. I want to tell you some other words about Kevin before we get started. And this is a quote from his head coach at UVA, Brian O'Connor. Kevin is one of the main reasons for our sustained success at the University of Virginia. He is 100% dedicated to the student-athletes in our program. His everyday interaction with our student-athletes and assistance in their development is what separates Kevin from other coaches. He is completely committed to helping our student-athletes reach their maximum potential. Kevin is also widely considered one of the best recruiters and evaluators of talent in the country. I am honored to have worked with him over these last years. That's a pretty great compliment from a tremendous head coach. Coach McMullen, welcome to Sunday Clinics. Well, Butch, thank you. Uh, and Walter, thank you guys for having me. Um, it's an honor to uh, be on this uh, phone call to be able to hopefully share and uh, influence like I've been influenced uh, some of our parents, young players, and coach, can you can you first start and talk about your playing career huh. and what influenced you to want to become a baseball coach? Well, Butch, I uh, I grew up in a small town in uh, New Jersey, Dumont. It was a mile square, fifty thousand people, and. Uh, my dad was raising five kids by himself. Uh, my mom had passed when I was young, and so uh, I started playing ball. You know, it's, it's, I was the youngest of five, so I was chasing my brothers around. My sisters were taking us to practice, and um, I, just, I just fell in love. I played football. I played baseball. I wrestled. I boxed, and I played basketball. So gr growing up in my hometown, and you could go to the park and be there at 7 a.m. and leave at midnight if you wanted to. So uh, I, I was really, really influenced by um, a, a lot of the people that are, are just people that are volunteering their times, youth coaches that, you know, anytime someone could give me information to make me better, I was really, really excited about it. And I think you know, one of the reasons I am in coaching now is because of the impact all those people that I grew up in my hometown, my high school coaches, my college coaches, obviously the guys I, I was influenced by in professional baseball, that uh, all of them, I have a little bit of all of them. And, you know, I knew probably uh, maybe my sophomore year in college that if, if I didn't want to play the rest of my life that I was definitely going to get into coaching. So, and it, and it had a lot to do with the people that influenced me, how they handled me, how they pushed me, how they hugged me, how they loved me, how they kicked me in the can, all those things influenced. And I thought 
uh, well, if, if I can't play at the highest level for the longest period of time, I'd like to pay it forward for all those people that poured into me. I'd like to be able to do that to, to, to future players. That's awesome. Can you, can you, let's first start with, uh, you know, the university of Virginia and what has, what has been the keys to your program success and constant, consistent longevity producing winning a winning program over these years. The, the first thing I would say is you, you got to recruit the right people. You know, the, the people part of things uh, allow when you, when you may be not as talented and, and they're good people and they care about the, about the whole picture, not just themselves. So I, I think in recruiting the right people, people that fit what the University of Virginia is all about. Uh, and, and then, you know, when we first got here, we, we, we set standards that, you know, you're going to come here. We, we took all the play games out of the locker room. You're going to come here. You're going to work uh, to be the best you can every day. We're going to pour ourselves into you. So the standards you have, uh, I think that's been the consistency. And, and then, then the, the message from, you know, basically three of us were here for 15 years together, 16 years together. So the message was very, very uh, unified. Uh, it was always about, you know, outworking your opponent. Uh, the, the group's more important than the individual, the we over me, so to speak. Uh, we, we always said, hey, listen, you're, you're, you're going to fail. You're going to have tough times. That's, that's the game, but we can't make any excuses. We can just make adjustments and find solutions. And so that, that's been our message, but since we've been here, it hasn't changed at all. It's still the same way. Uh, you know, the only thing that's changed is a, a lot of the, you know, obviously every three or four years you, you, you change players, but, but our message and, and it's been unified and, and it's had incredible work ethic, work for the group and, keep getting better. Don't make any excuses. Just keep making adjustments and finding solutions. You've had, you've had coach, you've had tremendous success uh, recruiting, you know, really good players. Can you talk about, you know, you, you said, you talked about a standard that you guys have set at university of G Virginia. You have a lot of kids and coaches on this uh, call that are going to want to know what you guys are looking for. Can you specifically give me an idea of the type of player when you're out recruiting that you're trying to get to the university of Virginia? Uh, so, someone that, uh, you know, loves, loves the game, right? It sounds so cliche as a coach, but there, there's some kids that they don't love the game. They just, they play, but they don't love it, you know? So they love it. They like all the nuances of it. Um, they, they compete at everything that they do. I, I think that's, um, you know, th that's one of those things that I, I think is really, really important that you just never stop competing. Um, I think that uh, the consistency of, you know, if you go watch a guy butch over three or four days, you know, baseball, you're, you're going to have one of those three or four games. You're going to you're going to struggle. And how do they handle themselves? Do they continue to play for, for the game and their team or do they crawl in the corner and you know, feel sorry for themselves, so to speak, or, 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 you know, can't handle the moment. So all those little things, I think, like hustling on and off the field, running hard, hard from the dugout out to your spot, running hard 90 feet or 60 feet or whatever, whatever sport you're playing. So all those little things, because they're going to fail 70% 70, 70 of the time, the best players, as far as I'm evaluating the position players for the most part. 
And so how do they handle themselves? And do, they, do they respect the game? Do they respect their teammates? All those kind of things. And, you, you know, you watch a guy play three or four games, you get a pretty good understanding. Do you, is, as you know, the recruiting coordinator, how many times, I mean, obviously you guys are playing the same time a bunch of these kids are playing and your, your time is probably limited getting out to see players, but what, when you go to these games, how many times do you try to see a player? Oh gosh. I, I, I can, I can go every, every finger on my hand. I've seen a guy one time. I've seen a guy 10 times. Um, I mean, you'd like to get a pulse. You'd like to do your homework a little bit, Butch, before you go to find out really what you're walking into. And then, like anything, sometimes you're disappointed. Sometimes you're really pleasantly surprised. Uh, but I think over time, I think if you see a guy anywhere from three to four or five times, you do your homework, you build that relationship on the phone with them when you can start talking with them. Uh, maybe they come to camps and you, and, and you work with them in a the camp and say, hey, this kid's really coachable. He's maybe sh- shallow on skill, but he's really, really bright, understands the game, is productive in the game. So I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. But I would say if you could see a guy a handful of times based on the climate of how our recruiting is now, that, that's pretty substantial. I would agree totally. What when you go see a position player? Let's talk about let's talk about premium position players. When you're there to see a shortstop, a catcher, a center fielder, what skills are you looking for that that you know want you to bring them to your school? Well, I, I would say as a as a middle infielder, does he catch the ball cleanly in his pocket? Does he move his feet in rhythm? Does the ball stay up across the infield? Uh, you know, again, we're recruiting anywhere from eighth graders to seniors in high school to graduate transfers. But I think uh, defensively catch the ball clean behind the plate. Does he catch? Catching is, you know, the the most important part of the position is catching. You know, everybody's like, well, he's got a rocket arm and and that's great. But if he can't catch, he can't use that rocket arm. So uh, behind the plate, does he stop the ball? Does he block the ball? And, And then when he has the opportunity to throw, is it accurate? And is it playable? Um, I think infielders, guys that move move easy on their feet, you know, they have uh, easiness in their hips. Their their shoulder girdles just, you know, loose, loose but not too loose. Uh, and they move athletically around the field, and they handle the handle their bodies pretty well. You know, we look for honest answers on on, on our show. Totally, we just we <laughs> we love it when you guys come and talk, and you're so candid. Um, what are things that turn you off when you go to a field to watch a player hmm. well um they don't hustle they're disrespectful to their coach i mean it, it doesn't take any effort to be respectful and hustle right there's no effort it's just it's it's who they are it's a billboard of they're telling people this is my message this is who i am so a guy that doesn't hustle maybe he's got bad body body language uh you know, is, uh, you know, dragging himself out to his spot instead of hustling to his spot. You know, the, the, those are just signs of there might need more maturity, there might need more growth, or that's truly who they are, you know. So I, I think just if, if, if you pay attention and you watch them, you know, sometimes you go to the field, but you're watching 15 guys and in, in one inning you're down to one guy. 
you know, and and then you're digesting him and say, okay, well, is he doing things the right way? And, and those those would be the things that I would like to look at. Is you know, is he on and off the field? Did he sit around the dugout? Is he respectful? Um, is he a good teammate? Uh, j- just by watching him. So, like uh, a player like Chris Taylor, you yeah. know, obviously he's gone on to make millions of dollars in the major leagues. We were lucky enough to get him in the fifth round. And I, I can honestly tell you in our draft room, we never assumed that he would have the success he's having. Uh-huh. Uh, when you recruited him, what did you see in him that made you believe that he could maybe become the player he has become? Well, Chris Taylor is a unique guy. He, he was butch the fifth infielder in the class that we recruited. Uh, I, w- I was in Roanoke, Virginia at the Virginia Commonwealth Games. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting there. I watched the skill day. He ran 7-0. Arm played pretty good. And then once the game started, I mean, he, he, he's got dirt ball reads. Every ball is on the barrel. It's a little bit steep at the time, technically. But every ball was sticking in his pocket. Uh, every ball was the first base before the, bat, the, the batter runner crossed the base. And so I watched him for three days and four days. And I went down to the coach at that time of the Eastern team. I just said, Hey, tell me a little bit about your shortstop. You know, Butch. And the first thing he said, he said, you got four shortstops already committed in your class. I said, we do. I said, but I I just like the way he played. I think he's the best guy on the field. So we have some conversation. He says, well, he's going to be in Georgia next week. So I go follow him in Georgia and go up to the coach and dugout. And I said, I, I know. I said, I'm just, I'm telling you. He said, well, there's his dad over there. And now Chris was going into his senior year, so you could talk to him. So I, I just introduced myself to his dad. And I just said, hey, listen, I love the way your son goes about his business. I love the way he plays. This is our situation. I think he can play anywhere on the field. Let me know if you'd be interested. You know, so two or three, four days go by. You know, three days later, I got him up on campus and, basically telling him the truth, say, hey, this is what we got. Uh, and the only question Chris Taylor asked me, which was, if I'm the best player, will I play? I said, 100% of the time here, the best players play. I said, so his freshman year, Butch, he played right field the first three games. Our shortstop, hers hamstring, Chris came in to play shortstop and played every day the rest of his career at shortstop. That's incredible. I mean, you just said something really interesting that I want to try to talk to you a little bit about. And you said he asked you if the best player would play. How how many kids in today's world, in this these generations now, like would say that to you? Uh, I don't know. You know, because <laughs> I, 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 I've always said, hey, listen, I, I've always been up front. This is what we have recruiting. This is what's committed to us. And I always say – since we've come here as the coaches, the best players play. We don't promise anybody any playing time. You come and earn it. But the best players will always play because two things. We owe it to everybody in the locker room to play the best players. And you guys as the players know who the best players are. I said, and we never have to save face. and We make any promises. Chris came on a certain scholarship. The other shortstop was on it two, two or three times as much. But Chris just wanted to know – Hey, I'm the best player. Will I play? And he he wasn't. He said, "I know how you guys have developed players from my area at the beach, and 
this I, I want to be challenged to be the best player I can be, and I think it's here. So we we got it all worked out, and he was uh, just like you watch him on television. He's the same guy every day. Yeah, he he, he I mean he's unbelievable makeup and. The player that he's become is, I mean, he surpassed the hitter I ever thought he was going to be. So you were a lot smarter than I was. <laughs> well, you took him in the fifth round. You're pretty smart. Well, it was, I mean, Mac had done a great job yes. on him. And I think that, I think we knew his makeup better than anybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, hey, when you, when you fish, you get lucky once in a while. Hey, Mac sat on Holton, Hicks, and Prosha the whole year before and he had a chance to see Chris play shortstop every day. Yeah, no, he did a, I mean, Mac did a tremendous job. When I, when I went in there to watch him, he's just like, please don't screw this up for me. <laughs> so, uh, no, that's, was, that's, that's how we speak to one another. That much. <laughs> yep. So that was, it was great. Let me ask you this. You know, I've read a lot about you this last week and football was a big part of your mentality and you loved football and lifting weights and the physical mental toughness it took to play football. What, what edge does it bring, you know, guys that play football, play other sports into baseball when they start playing it? Well, I mean, I can just, I can't speak for everybody else. For me, for me, football was every play you had to be locked in, you know? And I, and I think, uh, we can bring that intensity to baseball. You know, you, you take some of those mental pauses between pitches, but I just think the mental endurance that it takes to play football, because if you, if you let your guard down, you're going to get one in the ear hole really quick and it, it could be life changing. Right. So I think that edge and, and, and you know, I, I was in a really um, exceptional college football program that, you know, all the video study, all the little things that we talked about, I think have, influenced me to look at look at it through the that scope and you know ba- baseball you know I talk to guys all the time about ground balls between innings every every rep counts you're either getting better or you're going backwards and I, I learned that through uh, youth football high school football and college football how much is you know these kids are all trying to figure out and I think the biggest thing that we've come to determine in these eight months co- talking with the coaches is is it most kids don't come in at the strength level they need to come in to play at Division One baseball as a freshman. What would be your recommendation to kids that are on this call from that are 14 to 17-year-olds that are starting high school? What would you tell them about the weight room and what they need to get accomplished in the weight room? Well, I would uh... – it might be two or three. I, I'm I'm fortunate. I got a son that's uh, 17 years old, and I've been lifting with him for the last two years, which I haven't really lifted since college. You know, so I, I think the strength part to be able to handle your body number one, and then once you can handle your body, pull ups, push ups, body weight squats, jumps, then you, then you need to start getting with someone that can may, maybe prescribe a overall workout where, where, where you're hitting, you know, strength components of, of your legs, upper body twice a week, lower, lower body two or three times a week, jumps, explosive stuff. But, but if you're not strong, uh, the, the game's going to run by you a little bit. So I, I think there, there are some exceptions to all those rules, right? There are, are the outliers, but, 
I was fortunate. I was the youngest of five, and my dad was an NFL player, so we did push-ups around my house. We did sit-ups for money. We did all kinds of stuff for money. And so I was ahead of the curve from lifting weights just because I could handle my body weight. And, and then maybe at 15, 16, I think we started lifting weights with the high school football team. But I think it's earlier nowadays, and there's so much more science and technology that you could do things even when you're 13 and 14, maybe not with weights, but with your body weights. But I think it... If you come in strong, a lot of the guys we've had that had had a football background, like we got a really, really excellent freshman class. And I think uh, four out of the six guys that are making contributions have played other sports and have lifted weights pretty seriously before they got to school. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. And I want, you said something earlier in the conversation, and I wrote it down. Um <laughs> You you talked you said steep. You you were talking about Chris and his swing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you explain? You know, it's it's like we had John Savage on here and he started talking about pitching backwards. And uh-huh. I think a lot of people didn't understand what pitching backwards yeah. was, so we asked him and he gave us a great explanation of it. Can you give us an explanation of steep in a swing? I guess steep would be more of like um, chopping down. You know, I, I think and I'm an old school. I'm a flat swing guy. Now, nowadays, like I grew up, they said you had to have a level swing. And then when I first started coaching, it was a flat swing. And now it's got to be on plane. So for me, Butch, those are three of the same things. It just changed the terminology a little bit. Right. But steep for me is would be something that like, like you're chopping down on the ball. Now, do you have to get above the ball? Of course you do. That's to get your barrel on plane. But uh I think steep would be just, you know, not top to bottom, but more, you know, back ear to your front foot. That's steep to me on that movement downward instead of on plane. Awesome. Great. Thank you for sharing that with people (laughs) and myself. Um, You know, you've had a lot of success being a part of developing position players and hitters. Can you talk about the things like when you're developing a hitter – can you talk about approach and, like you just said, getting on plane, keeping your hands above the ball? Uh, I mean, things that you talk about with your hitters to help them have success. All right. I, I, I'm pretty simple when it comes to most of this hitting stuff because I think if you can be sim- simple as the new sophisticated in my mind, right? The, the, the things I talk to our guys about, Butch, on a regular basis is to be able to control their feet you know, their lower half, you know, I call feet because if you can control your feet, then you can control your looks, right? And if you're, you're tracking skills, you're getting the same look with your eyes all the time. Now you can use your swing, how, whether it's steep, whether it's uphill, whether it's on plane. If you do those two things, you can control your lower half and you can track the baseball with your eyes. Then whatever swing you have, I think you're going to be a lot more efficient and have a lot more barrel control. But if the feet are out of control, I think it gives you different impaired looks and, and then the consistency of contact's not going to be there. And I, I, I always talk to our guys a little bit, Butch, about uh, attacking the inside part of the baseball. Okay? And, and I say this to them. I said, I want you to attack the ball, not hit the inside part. Not, not get inside the ball, but I want you to hit the inside part of the ball. 
So it's more of an aggressive mindset. And th- those are the four things I talk to our guys about all the time. I say, okay, if you're, you're struggling, okay, or, or do you have lower half control? Are you seeing the baseball? And are, are you in that position where you can have the short attack on the ball? It's awesome. When you, when you talk about short attack to the ball, um, can you tell these kids out here when you're like some drills that they may be able to do that you like at, you know, at Virginia that you use with your players that could help them get short to the ball to the short attack spot? Well, well there's two things that I, you know, if a guy is disconnected, I, you know, as we're older than obviously some of our listeners, I talk about what's called the stop on contact drill. It's basically pepper at 25%, but you could do it off soft toss. You could do it off coach pitch. You could do it off machine pitch. And you're basically, you're in rhythm and you, you basically stop the bat at square, square to home plate. And so you're under control a little bit and you have to control the ball. That's one of my go-tos for everybody. I say, okay, make sure you're in time and you can stop the ball. And then we can accelerate through it after that. But that's one of them. And then, and then the, the soft toss drill I like. And I think every parent, every kid, every mom can do it with their son. Is I just say, say when, when I'm doing soft toss from the side, when the ball is at its apex, you, can, you need to hit it when it's at its apex. And I think it just shortens them up automatically. If they're competitive and they understand – hey, I got to hit the ball at its apex. They'll be their shortest and quickest they can be to the ball. And then maybe – Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. I was going to say, and maybe you get a little side view of, uh, you know, with, with your smartphone and, and take a look at it so he can see the difference between maybe as the ball falls, the barrel falls, compared to when the ball gets up and the barrel stays short on the attack. Let me ask you this. When you – the best hitters you've had and the best hitters you've coached, what have been some of the commonalities in them? What have, what have they done that have made them successful? Well, it, it, it's contact quality, right? The contact they make, uh, you know, the quality of the contact. It's, it, it, it's, it looks easy. It's simple. And, you know, and, and it goes back to the, I try to recruit guys that have calm lower halves because then I have to, to me, they see the ball differently and then the barrel accuracy, but I, I just, I, the quality of contact, you know, and, and there's guys that we've had that have come in and I'm like, this guy's going to be a really good player and maybe he couldn't hit spin. And, uh, but the best guys I've had control their base, can maneuver the ball all over the field, not just yank one side and slap the other side, but they're mostly gap to gap guys that as they evolve, they learn themselves a little bit more and then they can go hunt areas. But when it got down to two strikes, maybe they go back to the middle of the field. So just a feel for all of it. But for the most part, I think the quality of contact. You know, you talk about quality of contact. You've talked about, you know, calm lower half, quiet feet. Can you (laughs) expound on like the quiet feet? Because Nolan Arredondo, his feet are moving all the way through. But then when he gets down to a foot strike, it's quiet. Yeah, Are those so, so, types of that, things you're talking about? Yeah. When you, get, when you get into that attack position, are your feet going away from the center of your body or are they stacked over your core? 
You know, if they're, you know, they say knees inside, you know, knees inside feet, hips inside knees. That's what I mean by quiet, where they're not out of control, moving forward, stepping in the bucket, blocking and blocking their hips. But they're just, they look like they're in line all the time and they can clear it to the pull side pitch and they can stay on the backside pitch. And if you have, if you, your feet are under control and you have the skill, I think it still starts with the feet. If you're not lined up right and your feet are disconnected or they're overstride or they're blocked or they're in the bucket, it, it can call, can guys hit like that? Of course, of course they can hit like that because they can hit. But in, in a perfect world, if, if I was trying to design someone, I, I would have their feet under control and their alignment where they can not block their hips at all, except, you know, maybe on the backside pitch that they're special on, but, uh, I don't know if that answers your question. I ra- I rambled a little bit there, Butch, but no. no, no, you did, you did. I mean, I just there's so many young kids, and their families are here with them on these calls. And there's a lot of college coaches on here, and JC coaches, high school coaches, and I mean, you've had a ton of success as a coach, and you know, develop good hitters, develop good position players. Any information that you can give us to help kids? That's all we're here for. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, well, that's great. That's great. I mean, the first thing I do with our guys, but uh, since, since I've been at Virginia, I think I started this in maybe 2008 or nine. Uh, as I got, you know, more experience and listened to other people, it is I remember listening to, um, remember Co- Coach Ed Sheff used to be at Lewis and Clark? Love Sheff. Loved him. Right. Right. I, I was someone suggested, hey, you need to research this guy. Right. And so in 2009, uh, I researched an article in one of these collegiate baseball magazines and he had a couple, really two or three simple rules. You know, this his first rule was if you took a fastball for a strike, uh, you were out, you know, in the fall. So I said, you know what, that's incredible. You know, these high school kids come in that are pretty good college prospects. And they come in and they've been pitched, you know, curve balls and change ups their whole senior year. And then when you get them right away, they think they're going to get pitched the same way. And then the college guys are attacking them and attacking them with fastballs. And so I read this article and I said, I'm going to try this in the fall. And I did it. And I just said, hey, listen, if you take a strike, a fastball strike in the cages, BP or, or, or during our inner squad, you're going to be out. And now it takes time and, you know, you, you, you had to manage it a little bit, but it, it taught everybody to be aggressive and I would rather reel them in than to reel them out. And so as, as a coach, I would rather a guy be aggressive and you can dial them back compared to being passive and un, unsure. Awesome. I, I got to see coach chef coach about 50 games. <laughs> so he hit the hardest infield I've ever seen any coach hit an infield. I've seen him pull guys in games in the middle of games if they took a third called strike. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, so I know all this stuff you're talking about. And it, he was a, a tremendous, tremendous leader and person and coach. Yeah. How how important is confidence and swagger to a player and hitter? <laughs> well, I think um, I think it's the number one thing. You know, I, I think uh, th- th- there's a way you have to to go about to be able to have that confidence and swagger, right? I think, um, you know, you, you have to put the work in, you know? 
Uh, and if you put the work in, and the game has so much failure built in it, you, you, you better have the confidence necessary to understand that you're going pitch to pitch, right? You're going play to play. And that happens by making sure you're way overprepared. I hate to say, you know, you should, you should be overprepared. And then the confidence is earned, you know, uh, preparation and preparation and compete will allow you to be confident. I think um, it's one of the, the the toughest things when a guy is such a great player from one level to the next, when they get paused a little bit and, and they start checking their checks and balances a little bit, that's the first thing that goes is their confidence. And I think if they're, if you can teach them how to compete and you can, as we say, slow it down and uh, there's a process involved, I, I think it allows them to keep their confidence more so than ha ha having those spikes and thoughts and then you have negative spikes of thoughts and then your results are the same way and then boom, you go on a streak. Uh, I, I think that's, one of the things you try to evaluate as a coach when you go watch a guy, but you know, most of the time in four or five games, he only probably had one bad game. If he's going to be a player that we're, we're considered recruiting now, how he handled himself is important, but, but he also had four out of five pretty good games. So I think that, uh, I think it's the number one thing. And I think it's the most challenging thing to keep uh, their heads above water, but if they are a process involved in what they're doing, whether it's hitting, base running, throwing strikes, making all the routine plays, and they have a process that they go through, I, th I think it allows them to capture their confidence a lot more than those streaky type uh, things that, that are so much challenge, so, so, so big of a challenge in baseball. So let me ask you on the reverse side, what do you, how do you deal with the kid that you recruited there that you're counting on to be a good player for you that is having – confidence problem and uh, not believing in himself. What do you do to try to get him to where he has to be to help you win games? Well, uh, the first thing I've always said to kids, if you work hard as you can and you're putting every ounce into it, we got your back. Right. I mean, that's all you can ask. And I think, um, I think, I think I've, no one's going to quit on a kid that works. Now, guys think they work much, right? But when I say work, like, okay, you're, you're having a tough time hitting spin, and I, I watch you in the cage here, and I know what we do at practice, but I also watch you do stuff on your own. I never see you hitting spin, so you you can't be upset when coach makes an adjustment in the lineup because this guy's a, you know, this guy's a spin baller or he's a heater and you can't catch up to the fastball, and all I see you doing is hitting, you know, slow slow cupcakes in the cages, you know? So I, I, th I think it's the most challenging thing, but if they work hard and they're persistent and, and they have a feel, I mean, you, you got their back. I, I don't, I don't think you can give people confidence. They have to earn their own confidence. That's a great answer. So let's talk about a guy that did have a little bit of confidence. Um, 
a player that you coached that I know I, I got was lucky enough to get the scout. And the more you see him play, the more you liked him. Okay. A guy named Ryan Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. What what was what was he like in high school, and what are the things that he did that made you attracted to him? And as you well, coached I, him at Virginia, yeah, we we just retired Ryan's number. He's the first player in the Virginia baseball history to get his number retired. We retired it last Saturday, and Saturday evening, he invited me over to where they were staying, and uh, we just sat down, and I said, Zim. You know, how about how about this? He said, Coach, I I, I never thought about it, never ne- never even knew it was gonna happen. I just I love to play. And you know, I, I remember our first five days, Butch, on campus, uh when, when Coach O'Connor got the job and I was in pro ball, I came in the fall and after five days I'm like, This guy does things that I've never seen, you know? And the thing about Zim Butch is he never took a day for granted. Like, I remember his sophomore year, he got like a late invite to Team USA, right? And he wound up being the MVP of the team. And it was because of a relationship that Brian had with one of the guys that was USA Baseball. And then here he comes, he's the MVP, junior fall, and he's coming out taking a hundred ground balls at third base a day and acting like he's trying to make the team. And I mean, it, it, it's, there's a reason why he had the career he had, why he made over a hundred million dollars because he loved to play and he respected every day that he had an opportunity to play. I think that that's really important. Uh, because like anything, it's human nature to take for granted at different times, at different stages in your career, uh, whether it be little league, you know, uh, high school baseball, you, you take days off. We're all, we're all human. I've never seen Zim take a day off. And so I think that's an incredible quality. And, uh, and he respected everything about the game, how challenging it was. Uh, obviously he was, a hell of a player, like all the little things, Butch, base run and dirt ball reads, the best, you know, at, at least at the collegiate level for us. He had, someone had shared with me that Jim Riggleman taught, told him he thought he was the best base runner he ever coached. And this is, this is two months out of college. So uh, pretty, pretty special guy to, to be around just, just as a man too. Great in our community, great dad. He's got four kids. You know, he's he's worried about, uh, you know, helping his wife put the kids down. We're, we're at the hotel hanging out. And he's like, hey, man, you guys got to give me 30 minutes. I got to I, I got to help out here. And so just an, an incredible man and uh, obviously an exceptional player. But I even think a better man than a player. That's incredible. I mean, you. I, I hope people are listening to this as intently as I am, uh, because you've said the, the love for the game word about 50 times already (laughs) and respect for the game. I I hope our young players that listen to this and the people that will listen to this podcast understand that you've made it clear that that these, those are two things that players just have to have. 
Yeah, I, I do. I do think though. I mean, if you're going to maximize who you are as a player, and that's if you play, that's what that should be the goal, right? To be the best version of yourself you can be, and that that starts with loving the game, and then obviously respecting respecting what the game gives back to you and then trying to do your best the next time when it gives it back to you again. So I, I do. I, I love those two things. I talk to our players about it all the time. I always tell them the game knows. The game knows. You keep doing your business the right way and you keep, you know, having a, a good plan and a process. The game knows. You'll get rewarded when it counts. And I'm sure I'm sure it goes on mute sometimes, but, but I continue to remind them that, uh, you know, the – the game leaves clues. Success leaves clues. And most of the guys that I've been blessed to coach, they all work at it. They love the game. They're sponges for information. They don't think they know everything. The best players I've ever coached don't think they know everything. They want to know more compared to the guys that just turn you off when you continue to say, hey, take the breaking ball in the opposite gap. And if it it stays up, then you can t- take it in the pull side gap. And the guys that are great players, they, they truly say, yeah, you're right. Some of the other guys that maybe are unsure or don't 100% believe because of the respect of the game piece of it is a little bit uh, slimmer than the guys that really, really care about the game. That's great stuff. Can you, can you talk in a, about uh, an at-bat? You know, what a hitter's going up there to the plate. He's sitting in the on-deck circle, and he's waiting to get his his chance, what he's looking for, what he's trying to see. And then once he gets in the plate, what what is his approach? Zero, zero, one, zero, oh, two, one, two. You know, what? can you break down an entire bat for me so these kids can hear what, you know, your thought process might be? Well, well, you got the beginning of the game, you got the middle of the game, you got the end of the game, right? Those are three different – potentially three different people you might face. So I would say early in the game, I go back to my, my first little league game. Uh, and I got, you know, I took a couple fastballs for strikes and got in the car and my dad, you know, gave me a, a little, little bit of a lesson like, Hey, you, if you get the first one, you better be on go, you know, go in there. He's trying to get ahead of you, get ahead of him. So I, I try to, I try to instill that in our players to be aggressive after the fastball early um, that that would be a, you know w- one of your pillars, uh, and, and then you know I've had guys that uh, maybe they're getting pitched fifty fifty or sixty forty. They could go up there hunt and spin. You know I think uh, uh, and, and those I, I don't know one zero one one anymore. Butch guys are throwing three zero sliders with green lights, open bases nowadays. So uh, I think you really have to be disciplined to what you're doing. You have to believe in something, you know, my dad used to say, if you don't believe in something, you fall for everything. Right. And so I think as a hitter, you have to have a foundation, say, this is who I am. This is what I can do. They're trying to counter what I'm good at. And I got to be disciplined what I'm good at. You know, I, I, I use that term to our guys, be disciplined to your plan, whatever your plan is, be disciplined to it. Don't expand it. Don't, don't don't flip it. Don't switch it because it's going to come back to you. If you know who you are as a hitter, guys are going to pitch you a certain way. So are you preparing in your preparation to handle that? And then in the middle of the game, if they go relievers, are the relievers trying to get you out with their best stuff or just trying to pitch to your deficiencies? So, I mean, I can go back and I, I, it sounds like a seesaw. You can go back and forth and then, 
also I tell our guys all the time is if you have a plan, stick to your plan. When you get two strikes, you got to abort the plan and you got to put the ball in play. What's a team at bat for a guy? <laughs> well, depends on who, who's pitching. <laughs> it depends on who's pitching. You know, some some guys are, are, are come right at you and try to try to bury a fastball, fastball. I say, hey, if we make in the first inning, if we make three hard outs on three fastballs, I'm okay with it. We don't have to see 20 pitches because somewhere the game's going to flip and, and and it'll it'll catch up to you. But um, I think if you can see, you know, first time through the order, if you can see all their stuff, you know, if the game allows it, if the guy's a, a, a an attacker, strike thrower, hell, we, we we might have nine guys and they only saw 25 pitches the first time through the order. But that that depends on stuff, you know, and. Uh, we've got guys that may, maybe their numbers look like they walk a lot of guys. We might take pictures sometimes and say, okay. I, I remember, uh, I don't know where we were. Might have been in uh, ACC tournament. We got down by eight runs. Well, we went up by eight runs. We're playing Florida State. And Coach Martin is an incredible baseball guy, right? And our guys cruising for three innings. We go up eight, nothing. And then they just started taking pitch after pitch. They took two strikes for 15 batters. Our guys out of the game, they come back and we wind up winning eight, seven, but they scored seven runs because they started taking two strikes. So I, I, I think it's just, it, it's gotta be flexible. You have to have obviously a foundation, but you have to have flexibility to maneuver based on who's on the mound in my opinion. And, and what your team is that particular year, we might be small game one year. We might be, we might be hitting for power, and I think the best way is to use the guys you have to their strengths, and not try to force them to do things that they're unable to do. Let me switch to pitching for a minute here. Um, you you guys have had some really really good arms at University of Virginia over the years. Uh, what? What is when you guys go out and look for pitchers? Uh, can you break it down what you're looking for from top to bottom? I would say um, strike throwers, right? Guys that throw strikes. You know, the the game, the law of averages. If you throw strikes and you can maneuver the ball around the strike zone, fastball command, a secondary pitch you can throw for a strike or a wipeout secondary pitch. And then, in my opinion, the best base pitch in baseball is the changeup, you know, probably because I could never see it. And I just always thought it was a fastball. Um, but I, I, do, I do think if you're a strike thrower, uh, you understand the running game, when to pick over, be quick to the plate. Don't put yourself in jeopardy of losing the strike zone, but you still have to be quick to the plate because that's suffocating to an offense when you're on the mound and you can pick at will. You can be one, three to the plate. You know, you don't have many choices as an offensive coach to do things to guys that do that. You know, so throw strikes, hold the running game, and pick as when you need to just to get them out of rhythm. So uh, pretty simple. <laughs> uh, if a guy throws strikes, he holds the running game, he's going to be pretty successful. Unless his yeah. stuff's just not good enough. But even if it's not good enough, he throws strikes in high school – and you hold the running game, you don't give them any, any extra 90 feet, then you, you'll have a chance to win a high percentage of your games. 
So when you're, let's say, at the Division One level in your program, obviously you guys won the NCAA in 2015. Uh, you've had good arms. I mean, we drafted a guy named Danny Holson, that I think, through 94, 96. And mm-hmm. I had a guy named Griff McGarry that played on one of my summer teams. It's pretty good for you. Yeah. Um, where does velocity start for you guys, guys you recruit? What, what kind of velocity do you guys need to see? I would say at, at our place, I mean, we had an inner squad today. We had six inning inner squad. Uh, we had guys from 85, 88 left-handers to right-handers 93 to 96. So anywhere in those windows are opportunities. It's just the guys with more command of the better stuff, obviously you're going to get get more opportunities because that's more challenging to the offense. And then the guys that are in that middle of the age stuff, it's either roll or they have to have exceptional command and understanding of all those little things we talk about in the run game. So uh, it's a diverse, I mean, I mean, it's a diverse roster on the mound. Like I said, we got, we don't have many people under 85, but you know, we got a sidearm guy at times. He, he throws down there, but we got, Guys, 94, 96, can't throw strikes. They're not getting many innings right now. So uh, I, I, th- I think it's all over the place, Butch. And in a perfect world, if we could, you know, put our finger on them and say, okay, you're, you're going to throw 94 to 96. You're going to have that 84-mile-an-hour hook, <laughs> the 88, 89-mile-an-hour cutter slider that they're throwing nowadays. And you can throw that change up, oh, oh, anytime you want, you know. So, uh uh, that's all I got from a pitching standpoint. Pretty simple. Do all, do all your guys do all they do all of them have changeups? Um. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you know our pitching coach now, uh, Jude Dickinson, was a left-hander that you know threw eighty-two to eighty-six, made it to Triple A, and was you know to to make his fastball play up, he had to throw that changeup in three different speeds. So I think he's really really good at teaching it and i think it's it's something that our guys all have awesome let's talk about let's go back to hitters now for a minute and talk about you know in this world of analytics and measurements and statistics and then you know all the all the metrics what what are the metrics that are important for you as a coach for offensive players well that's uh that's a that's a challenging question in the climate we're in, uh, Butch. I'm I'm grateful and thankful. I I get to choose the players that we we recruit, and then my message is pretty consistent, uh, and, and it's supported throughout our organ. You know, basically our program that you know th- this is how we're going to do it. So I I like bat speed. So I guess exit velocity would be important, but. Quality of contact is the most important thing for me. If a guy can barrel the ball up, uh, and I know there's not a lot of metrics on that, you know, from, from an evaluation standpoint, you got to go and watch it. I, I, I guess maybe some of these, uh, I don't use a lot of technology. We, we, have, we have the Rat Soto stuff. We got some exit velocity. And I always say you can hit 104 off the tee, but the tee doesn't play in the game. But, you know, those guys are pitching and doing all those things. But I, but I do like um, I do like the exit velocity. You know, probably 20 years ago, before all this was out, we, we used to just do it with a radar gun, right? 
and, and I would do it because it would, it would make our guys compete. You know, and a guy, a guy that you guys drafted, I'll never forget this conversation. Remember Stephen Prochet at all? Oh yeah. Prochet was, was our third baseman. So we, we did this competition day with exit velocity and his was like 88. And so everybody was harassing him. And so I said, P that those guys are all over you. He said, Hey man, they can't hit like I can. And I said, you know, that's, that, that's true. Those guys have got 98 miles an hour. They get 101. He said, but they can't hit like I can in a game. I said, I'll never forget it. And I, and I think about that often now with all the metrics and all that stuff out here that he, he, he'd say it all the time. He said, go look at my contact in the game. Look how many runs I drive in and they, they can outspeed me by six or seven miles an hour, but I can still hit. So, uh, like anything, I, I think it's a sexy thing to say, hey, I'm, I'm hitting 100, 101 off the tee. But, uh, you know, the in-game stuff is the quality of contact. Maybe there, there, there's some rotational acceleration stuff. I don't do a lot of it, Butch, to be honest with you. So uh, I'm an old school guy where I use my eyes and say, oh, well, he hits it square a lot and it goes pretty fast. And they don't, they don't handle it very well. So. Yeah, no, I think that's the best way to do it. I mean, if your eyes your, your eyes don't lie. <laughs> sorry, sorry just you're, no, you're good. You're I mean, my, my, my eyes tell me, and if I watch enough, I, hopefully I know in a long period of time. But there are there are things that uh, some some younger coaches are better at than me, and technology is one of them. But I can still see it and say, hey, that, that, that's it, pretty good. And we put the stuff up on our scoreboard. We got exit velocity. We got launch angle. You know, I have ropes tied around our batting cages at the halfway point in all of our batting cages, Butch. They're yellow ropes. And I just say, if you hit the ball on the rope, that'll be your best exit velocity you could ever have because it's a, it's basically a head high line drive. And those are the hardest hit balls. Let me ask you this question. Um, when you, when you are out at games, and you know, a lot of the coaches have talked about this before. What what advice would you give to parents that are at games that you hear, you know, that might be something that would be like a turnoff to you? So we, the people that listen to us, we don't want them to at all hurt their kids and the you know the recruiting process. What are things that may turn you off that you hear at games from parents and people in stands? Um, let me just. I don't know. I'm, I'm a dad, right? I have, I have things at times when I, you know, I got a chance during the pandemic to go with my son for a whole summer and watch him play. And um, I'm a college coach. It's my expertise. This is what I do. And um, at times you want to, you want to get behind them and you want to, you know, you want to coach them, but uh it, it, it's a challenging thing because you love your kids so much. You want to help them. Uh, but I, I would, I would just do game notes, Butch. I would take my phone out and, and I wanted to say, Hey, hustle down the line, do this, do that. But I'm not his coach. And then someone would say, well, his coach doesn't make him do that. And I get that part of it too. So that could be challenging because sometimes as a dad, you want to hand them off to the high school coach. You want to hand them off to the travel coach and think they can fix it all. And it's, and it's not necessarily the case. So I always, 
I, I always try to keep my ears open, my, my mouth shut. You know, and if I keep my ears open and my mouth shut, I, I learn, uh, I learn more, I hear more than I have to talk about. And so, uh, I, I would just say, you know, support your kid, be positive. Um, you know, don't bad mouth the coach because we're the next coach that you're going to bad mouth, I'm sure. So, uh, just be aware of your surroundings and, you know, just be classy about how you handle things. How do you think social media has has had an effect on college baseball and kids in today's baseball world? Hmm. Well, it, 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 it's twofold. It can either hurt a kid because of hey, this guy's promoting himself too much, or you can you can find someone in the weeds that you maybe never knew about. So, I, I just think it depends how how much you use it. Do you trust it? Uh, but you know, there's kids tweeting information. You could go on someone's site and see their swing. And, you know, there's some graduate chancers out there now there's junior college players. And I think it's a really good, really good in a certain amount of doses. And it's not always hundred percent valid. So use it to your advantage, but don't abuse it. What do you, how, well, how's your feeling on the transfer portal? What do you, what do you think about the transfer portal? Oh goodness. Uh, I don't, uh, I think it's great for the players in certain areas. I don't like that a kid can just get up and run. Uh, I don't think it's a good lesson that we're teaching them that when things get challenging or things aren't going your way, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Are there certain circumstances? Of course there are. And that that's why they want the opportunity to go explore other options. But I have always said the grass is green where you water it. And, when it doesn't grow anymore, then, then you should maybe explore. So I, I'd like to see it maybe after four semesters instead of one or two semesters that they say, okay, after four semesters, you have an option to maybe leave if it's not working out for you. And this way, at least you're getting a couple of years committed out of somebody that you, you put time and recruited and maybe after four semesters, if, it, if it's not working out for them, then they can go somewhere else that maybe it's a better situation for them. That's the first time we've heard that on this show. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's a great answer. I think that that is that would be a, a better, fair solution for everybody. Walter, before I ask Coach's last question, do you have anything you want to ask of uh, Coach McMullen? I certainly do. Uh, two things. First of all, we're up to 48 people that have sent me a direct message saying, wow, this guy is unbelievable so i want to make sure that i mean you are dealing as many of our guests have before you are dealing straight off the top with direct candid info and parents greatly appreciate it as do student athletes i have a quick question i i I do want to get your email address after we're done here but i've sat at several uva practices as a dad looking and watching uva do what it does I watch you in a dugout when your team is doing infield related drills. Can you just get a, give a little insight to student athletes listening as to the speed of the game as opposed to what they might be doing in summer ball or high school ball and how that changes your or how that affects your practices with regards to you yelling out 4.4, 4. 4.5, 4.3. Sure, sure. Yeah, can you just get student athletes to understand that dynamic a little bit well i think what we've tried to do is we've tried to make everything uh have intent and relative to game speed uh 
how the game is played at our level. We, we think four two five is a great college runner. Four three five is an average. Four five is an average, and maybe four seven is a slow runner. So we have a basically a timing mechanism. When coach does his PFP, the ball's off the bat. By the time the ball gets off the bat in the in the defender's glove and gets to first base, we we, we basically shout out the time it was because. Uh, one pitch, one one ground ball. If you don't know the guy's a one runner, and you take your time, and it's not urgent, then it could potentially cause a big inning, cause a big loss. So it, it's really a pressure type thing. Well, just to just just to speed them up, to let them know you got to play at this pace all the time. And then if you 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 put competition to it, you usually get the best out of your guys and. That's part of the reason it's competition, it's pressure. And I think the more you can put yourself in those climates that when the game comes around, it's just part of your process. It's what you do and, it, and it's instinctual and the game takes care of itself. And because you've prepared at the highest, fastest pace, the game is slower for you. Appreciate that, Kevin. Send me a direct message yeah. with your email address after. We'll do it. That, we'll do it. Kevin, that was tremendous. I've always wondered why showcases have not done it just that way instead of letting guys take seven steps and then throwing <laughs> 105 miles an hour. Yeah. Why not see if they can throw when there is pressure on them? I think that is fantastic that you do that. Thank you. My last question for you, and again, I want to tell you how much I appreciate for you taking the time to be on here with us on Mother's Day. And uh, by the way, mothers that are on this call, I'm sorry that I didn't wish you a happy Mother's Day. Happy <laughs> Mother's Day. Um, coach, if you – I ask every coach this that's ever been on this show. It's the last question I always ask. If you could give the players and families one bit of information that may help them with this entire youth baseball process, what would that advice be? Oh, that's easy for me right there. It's – I, I say it to our guys all the time. I say it to my children. I always just say, be early, be prepared, and compete at everything you do. If you do those three things, th th things somehow work out. Be early, be prepared, and compete at everything. Um, so, so many people nowadays, uh, Butch, want to recover and do all this stuff. I just say, keep working, do more. If you do more, you get better at doing more instead of doing less. And I think the being early part of it is the respect factor of what you're doing within our game, being prepared. The game is really, really challenging, uh, but it's really, really fun if you're prepared. You don't panic. You don't sweat it. It's just part of your routine and part of your process. So being prepared allows you to have the most fun when you're prepared, everybody's like, well, you know, you, you got to have fun. I said, well, if you're early and you're prepared, the game's usually fun, you know. And then to compete at everything is uh, – I was the youngest of five, and my dad used to tell us, if you don't like it, compete a little bit better, and maybe you'll like it more. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still about you – know, I'm still 54 years old, and I beat my wife out of bed every morning, and I said, start the day with a victory, you know. That's awesome. Well, hey, again, uh, Coach, thank you for your time. Thanks for taking yeah. the time to be on Sunday Night Clinic. And I uh, want to wish you continued success. And I hope that Walter and I see you in Omaha. 
Yeah, I, I uh, we're we're in finals break right now, so uh, we're in that process. Hopefully, we'll we'll finish strong here and uh, th- then start the new season, the postseason, and uh, we'll we'll do everything we can, Butch, and put our guys in the best position and uh, be prepared and. Hopefully things fall the right way because they take care of all their stuff and doing things the right way. Well, good luck. I, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me, and uh, uh, I appreciate appreciate you considering me having the opportunity to share with everybody. Thank, thank you, you, thank Kevin. you for sharing. Yeah, thank you, okay. guys. Send me the email address, Kevin, when you get a chance. Yes, sir. Guys, thanks again for everybody coming on Mother's Day. I know this is a tough day to to get here but we had a really good crowd and look you got to listen to one of the best coaches in the country so what a great night so everybody thank you for being here good night everybody have a nice mother's night